Chapter 48 of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Chapter 48. A Settlement. Will you excuse me if I leave you for one moment to go down into the kitchen? What for? said Pitt, stopping her. I want to see if Mrs. Barker has anything in the house for lunch. Sit down again. She certainly will. She always does. But I want to let her know that there will be one more at table today. Never mind. If the supplies fall short, I will go out and get some oysters. I know the colonel likes oysters. Sit still and let us talk while we can. Esther sat down, a little wondering, for Pitt was evidently in earnest, too much in earnest to be denied. But when she had sat down, he did not begin to talk. He was thinking, and words were not ready. It was Esther who spoke first. And you, Pitt? What are you going to do? It was the first time she had called him by his name in the old fashion. He acknowledged it with a pleased glance. Don't you know all about me? he said. I know nothing but what you have told me. And hearsay, added Esther, coloring a little. Did your father not tell you? Papa told me nothing, and therewith it occurred to Esther how odd it was that her father should have been so reticent, that he should not have so much as informed her who his visitor had been, and then it also occurred to her how he had desired not to be called down to see anybody that morning. Then it must be that he did not want to see Pitt? Had he taken a dislike to him? Disapproved of his marriage, perhaps? And how would Bunchen be under these circumstances? One thought succeeded another in growing confusion. But then Pitt began to talk, and she was obliged to attend to him. Then your father did not tell you that I have become a householder, too? I, no, yes, I heard something said about it, Esther answered, stammering. He told you of my old uncle's death and gift to me? No, nothing of that. What is it? Then Pitt began and gave her the whole story of his life with his uncle, of Mr. Strahan's excellences and peculiarities, of his favor, his illness and death, and the property he had bequeathed intact to his grandnephew. He described the house at Kensington, finding a singular pleasure in talking about it, for, as his imagination recalled the old chambers and halls, it constantly brought into them the sweet figure of the girl he was speaking to, and there was a play of light often, or a warm glow, or a sudden sparkle in his eyes, which Esther could not help noticing. Womanlike, she was acute enough also to interpret it rightly, only, to be sure, she never put herself in the place of the person concerned, but gave all that secret homage to another. It is like Pitt, she thought, with a suppressed sigh which she could not stop to criticize. It is like him, as much in earnest in love as in other things, always in earnest. It must be something to be loved so. However, carrying on such aside reflections, she kept all the while her calm, sweet, dignified manner, which was bewitching Pitt, and entered with generous interest into all he told her, supplying in her own way what he did not tell, and on her part also peopling the halls and chambers at Kensington with two figures, neither of which was her own. Her imagination flew back to the party a year ago, 
at which she had seen Biddy Frere, and mixed up things recklessly. How would she fit into this new life of Pitt, of which he had been speaking a little while ago? Had she changed too, perhaps? It was to be hoped. Pitt ended what he had to say about his uncle and his house, and there was a little pause. Esther half wondered that he did not get up and go away, but there was no sign of that. Pitt sat quietly, thoughtfully, also contentedly, before her, at least so far as appeared, of all his thoughts, not one of them concerned going away. It had begun to be a mixed pleasure to Esther, his being there, for she thought now that he was married he would be taken up with his own home interests, and the friend of other days, if still living, would be entirely lost. And so every look and expression of his which testified to a fine and sweet and strong character, which proved him greatly ennobled and beautified beyond what she had remembered him, and all his words which showed the gentleman, the man of education, and the man of ability, while they greatly delighted Esther, they began oddly to make her feel alone and poor. Still, she would use her opportunity and make the most of this interview. "'And what are you going to be, Pitt?' she asked, when both of them had been quite still for a few minutes. He turned his face quick towards her with a look of question. "'Now you are a man of property,' said Esther. "'What do you think to do? "'You were going to read law.' "'I have been reading law for two or three years.' And are you going to give it up? Why should I give it up? The question seems rather, why should you go on with it? Put it so, he said. Ask the question. Why should I go on with it? I have asked the question, said Esther, laughing. You seem to come to me for the answer. I do. What is the answer? Give it, please. Is there any reason why a man who has money enough to live upon should go to the bar? I can think of but one, said Esther, grave and wondering now. Perhaps there is one reason. And that, said Pitt, without looking at her? I can think of but one, Esther repeated. It is not a man's business view, I know, but it is mine. I can think of no reason why, for itself. A man should plunge himself into the strifes and confusions of the law, supposing that he need not, except for the one sake of righting the wrong and delivering the oppressed. That is my view, said Pitt quietly. And is that what you are going to do? She said with smothered eagerness, and as well a smothered pain. I do not propose to be a lawyer merely, he said, in the same quiet way, not looking at her but I thought it would give me an advantage in the great business of righting the wrong and getting the oppressed go free. So I propose to finish my terms and be called to the bar. Then you will live in England, said Esther, with a most unaccountable feeling of depression at the thought. For the present, probably, wherever I can do my work best. Your work? That is... Do you ask me? said he now looking at her with a very bright and sweet smile. The sweetness of it was so unlike the pit Dallas she used to know that Esther was confounded. Do you ask me? What should be the work in life of one who was once a slave and is now Christ's freeman? Esther looked at him speechless. You remember, he said, the Lord's word. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. 
and then he immediately gave the gauge and measure of that love, the greatest possible, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you mean? Only that, Queen Esther. I reckon that my life is the Lord's, and that the only use of it is to do his work. I will study law for that, and practice as I may have occasion, and for that I will use all the means he may give me, so far as I can, to break every yoke and let the oppressed go free, to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, so far as I may. Surely it is the least I can do for my master. Pitt spoke quietly, gravely, with the light of a settled purpose in his eye, and also with the peace of a fixed joy in his face. Indeed, his face said more than his words, to Esther who knew him and it. She read there the truth of what he said, and that it was no fantasy of passing enthusiasm, but a lifelong choice, grave and glad, of which he was telling her. With a sudden movement she stretched out her hand to him, which he eagerly clasped, and their hands lay so in each other for a minute, without other speech than that of the close-held fingers. Esther's other hand, however, had covered her eyes. "'What is the matter, Queen Esther?' said Pitt, seeing this. "'I am so glad, so glad, and so sorry.' Esther took down her hand. She was not crying. "'Glad for you, and sorry that there are so very few who feel as you do. "'Oh, how very strange it is!' He still held her other hand. Yes, he said thoughtfully, it is strange. What do you think of the old word in the Bible? That it is not good for man to be alone? I suppose it is true, said Esther, withdrawing her hand. Now, she thought, he is going to tell me about his bride and his marriage. And she rather wished she could be spared that special communication. At the same time, the wondering speculation seized her again, whether Betty Frere, as she had seen her, was likely to prove a good helpmate for this man. You suppose it is true? There can be no doubt about that, I think, for the man. How is it for the woman? I have never studied the question, said Esther. By what people say, the man is the more independent of the two when he is young, and the woman when she is old. Neither ought to be independent of the other. They seldom are, said Esther, feeling inclined to laugh although not in the least merry. Pitt was silent a few minutes, evidently revolving something in his mind. "'You said you had two rooms unoccupied,' he began at last. "'I want to be some little time in New York yet. Will you let me move into them?' "'You?' exclaimed Esther. "'Yes,' he said, looking at her steadfastly. "'You do not want them, and I do.' "'I do not believe they would suit you, Pitt,' said Esther, consumed with secret wonder." I am sure no other could suit me half so well. What do you think your bride would say to them? You know that must be taken into consideration. My bride? I beg your pardon. Did I hear you right? Yes, said Esther, opening her eyes a little. Your bride, your wife, isn't she here? Who is she? Who was she, do you mean? Or are you perhaps not married yet? Most certainly not married. But may I beg you to go on? You were going to tell me who the lady is supposed to be? Oh, I know, said Esther, smiling. 
yet perplexed. I believe I have seen her, and I admire her, too, Pitt, very much. Though when I saw her, I do not think she would have agreed with the views you have been expressing to me. Where did you see her? Last fall. Oh, a year ago, almost. Time enough for minds to change. It was at a party here. And you saw whom? Miss Frere. Isn't she the lady? Miss Frere, exclaimed Pitt, and his color changed a little. May I ask how this story about me has come to your ears and been believed, as I see you have accepted it? Why, very straight, said Esther, her own color flushing now brightly. It was not difficult to believe. It was very natural, at least to me, who have seen the lady. Miss Frere and I are very good friends, said Pitt, which state of things, however, might not long survive our proposing to be anything more. But we never did propose to be anything more. What made you think it? Did Papa tell you that he went up to Seaforth this summer? He said nothing about it. He did go, however. It was a very great thing for Papa to do, too, for he goes nowhere, and it is very hard for him to move. But he went. It was in August. We had heard not a word from Seaforth for such a long, long time. Not for two or three years, I think. And not a word from you. And Papa had a mind to see what was the meaning of it all, and whether anybody was left in Seaforth or not. I thought everybody had forgotten us, and Papa said he would go and see. Yes, said Pitt, as Esther paused. And, of course, you know, he found nobody. All our friends were gone, at least, and people told Papa you had been home the year before and had been in Seaforth a long while, and the lady was there, too, whom you were going to marry, and that this year they had all gone over to see you, that lady and all, and the wedding would probably be before Mr. and Mrs. Dallas came home. So Papa came back and told me. And you believed it, of course. How could I help believing it, said Esther, smiling. But her eyes avoided Pitt now, and her color went and came. It was a very straight story. Yet not a bit of truth in it. Oh, yes, they came over to see me, but I have never thought of marrying Miss Frere, nor any other lady, nor ever shall, unless... You have forgotten me, Esther? Esther sat motionless that Pitt might have thought she had not heard him, but for the swift flashing color which went and came. She had heard him well enough and she knew what the words were meant to signify, for the tone of them was unmistakable. But answer, in any way, Esther could not. She was a very fair image of maidenly modesty and womanly dignity, rather unmistakable, too, in its way. But she spoke not, nor raised an eyelid. "'Have you forgotten me, Esther?' he repeated gently. She did not answer then. She was moveless for another instant." and then, rising, with a swift motion she passed out of the room. But it was not the matter of dismissal or leave-taking, and Pitt waited for what was to come next. And in another moment or two she was there again, all covered with blushes, and her eyes cast down, down upon an old book which she held in her hand and presently held open. She was standing before him now, he having risen, and she rose. From the very fair brow and rosy cheek and soft line of the lips, Pitt's eye at last went down to the book she held before him. There, on the somewhat large page, lay a dried flower, 
The petals were still velvety and rich-colored, and still from them came a faint sweet breath of perfume. What did it mean? Pitt looked, and then looked closer. It is a charanthus, he said, the red variety. What does it mean, Esther? What does it say to my question? He looked at her eagerly, but if he did not know, Esther could not tell him. She was filled with confusion. What dreadful thing was this, that his memory should not be so good as hers? She could not speak. The lovely, shamefaced flushes mounted up to the delicate temples and told their tale. But Pitt, though he read them, did not at once read the flower. Esther made a motion as if she would take it away, but he prevented her and looked closer. The red charanthus, he repeated. Did it come from Seaforth? I remember old MacPherson used to have them in his greenhouse. Esther, did I bring it to you? Christmas, stammered Esther. Don't you remember? Christmas, of course I do. It was in that bouquet? What became of the rest of it? Papa made me burn all the rest, said Esther, with her own cheeks now burning and she would have turned away, leaving the book in his hands, with an action of as shy grace as ever Milton gave to his Eve. But Pitt got rid of the book and took herself in his arms instead. And then, for a few minutes, there was no more conversation. They had reached a point of mutual understanding where words would have been superfluous. But words came into their right again. Esther, do you remember my kissing you when I went away, six or seven years ago? certainly i think that kiss was in some sort a revelation to me i did not fully recognize it then what the revelation was but i think ever since i have been conscious vaguely that there was an invisible silken thread of some sort binding me to you and that i should never be quite right till i followed the clue and found you again the vagueness is gone and has given place to the most daylight certainty i am glad of that said Esther demurely, though speaking with a little effort. You always like certainties. Did you miss me? Pitt, more than I can possibly tell you. Not then only, but all the time since. Only one thing has kept me from being very downhearted sometimes, when time passed, and we heard nothing of you, and I was obliged to give you up. You should not have given me up. Yes, there was nothing else for it. I found it was best not to think about you at all. Happily, I had plenty of duties to think of. And duties, if you take hold of them right, become pleasures. Doing them for the master. Yes, and for our fellow creatures too. Both interests come in. And so make life full and rich, even in common details of it. But, Queen Esther, my queen... Do you know that you will be my queen always? That word expresses your future position, as far as I am concerned. No, said Esther, a little nervously. I think hardly. Where there is a queen, there is commonly also a king somewhere, you know. His business is to see the queen's commands carried out. We will not quarrel about it, said Esther, laughing. But, after all, Pitt, that is not like you. You always knew your own mind, and always had your own way, when I used to know you. It is your turn. It would be a very odd novelty in my life, said Esther. But now, Pitt, 
I really must go and see about luncheon. Papa will be down, and Mrs. Barker does not know that you are here, and it will be a sort of relief to take hold of something so commonplace as luncheon. I seem to myself to have got into some sort of unreal fairyland. I am in fairyland, too, but it is real. Let me go, Pitt, please. Luncheon is of no consequence. Papa will think differently. I will go out and get him some oysters to conciliate him. To conciliate him? Yes, he will need conciliating, I can tell you. Do you suppose he will look on complacently and see you, who have been wholly his possession and property, pass over out of his hands into mine? It is not human nature. Esther stood still and colored high. Does Papa know? He knows all about it, Queen Esther, except what you may have said to me. I think he understood what I was going to say to you. Poor Papa, said Esther thoughtfully. Not at all, said Pitt inconsistently. We will take care of him together, much better than you could alone. Esther drew a long breath. Then you speak to Barker, and I will get some oysters, said Pitt with a parting kiss, and was off in a moment. The luncheon, after all, passed off quite tolerably well. The colonel took the oysters, and Pitt, with a kind of grim acquiescence. He was an old soldier, and no doubt had not forgotten all the lessons once learned in that impressive school, and as everyone knows, to accept the inevitable and to make the best of a lost battle are two of those lessons. Not that Colonel Gainsborough would seriously have tried to fight off Pitt and his pretensions if he could. At least, not as things were. Pitt had told him his own circumstances, and the colonel knew that without barbarity he could not refuse ease and affluence and an excellent position for his daughter, and condemn her to school-keeping in Major Street for the rest of her life, especially since the offer was accompanied with no drawbacks, except the one trifle that Esther must marry. That was an undoubtedly bitter pill to swallow, but the colonel swallowed it, and hardly made a wry face. He would be glad to get away from Major Street himself, so he ate his oysters, as I said, grimly, was certainly courteous, if also cool, and Pitt even succeeded in making the conversation flow passably well, which is hard to do when it rests upon one devoted person alone. Esther did everything but talk. After the meal was over, the colonel lingered only a few minutes, just enough for politeness, and then went off to his room again, with a dry and somewhat uncalledful remark that they did not want him. That is true, said Pitt humorously. Pitt, said Esther hurriedly, if you don't mind, I want to get my work. There is something I must do, and I can do it just as well while you are talking. She went off and returned with a drawing board and pencils, took her seat, and prepared to go on with a drawing that had been begun. What are the claims of this thing to be considered work? said Pitt, after watching her a minute or two. It is a copy that I shall need Monday morning. Only a little thing. I can attend to you just the same. A copy for whom? One of my scholars, she said, with a smile at him. That copy will never be wanted. Yes, I want it for Monday, and Monday I should have no time to do it. So I thought I would finish it now. It will not take me long, Pitt. Queen Esther, said he, laying his hand over hers, all that is over. 
"'Oh, no, Pitt, how should it?' she said, looking at him now, since it was no use to look at her paper. "'I cannot have you doing this sort of work any longer.' "'But,' she said, flushing high, "'yes, I must.' "'That has been long enough, my queen. I cannot let you do it any longer. You may give me lessons, nobody else.' "'But,' said Esther, catching her breath, "'then,' Not willing to open the whole chapter of discussion she saw ahead, she caught at the nearest and smallest item. You know I am under obligations, and I must meet them until other arrangements are made. I am expected. I am depended on. I must not fail. I must give this lesson Monday, and others. Then I will do this part of the work, said he, taking the pencil from her fingers. Give me your place, please. Esther gave him her chair and took his, and then she sat down and watched the drawing. Now and then her eyes made a swift passage to his face for a half-second, to explore the features so well-known and yet so new. But those were kind of fearful glances, which dreaded to be caught, and for the most part her eyes were down on the drawing and on the hands busied with it. Hands, we know, tell of character, and Esther's eyes rested with secret pleasure on the shapely fingers, which in their manly strength and skillful agility corresponded so well to what she knew of their possessor. The fingers worked on, for a time, silently. "'Pitt, this is oddly like old times,' said Esther at last. "'Things have got into their right grooves again,' said he contentedly. "'But what are you doing? That is beautiful. But you are making it a great deal too elaborate and difficult for my scholar. She is not far enough advanced for that.' I'll take another piece of paper, then, and begin again. What do you want? Just a tree, lightly sketched, and a bit of rock under it. Something like that. She is a beginner. A tree and a rock, said Pitt. Well, here you shall have it. But, Queen Esther, this sort of thing cannot go on, you know. For a while it must. For a very little while. In fact, I do not see how it can go on at all. I will go and see your school, madam, and tell her you have made another engagement. But every honest person fulfills the obligations he is under, before assuming new ones. That's past praying for, said Pitt, with a shake of his head. You have assumed the new ones. Now the next thing is to get rid of the old. I must go back to my work soon. And, Queen Esther, your majesty will not refuse to go with me? He turned and stretched out his hand to her as he spoke. In the action, in the intonation of the last words, in the look which went with them, there was something very difficult for Esther to withstand. It was so far from presuming, it was so delicate in its urgency, there was so much wistfulness in it, and at the same time the whole magnetism of his personal influence. Esther placed her hand within his. She could not help that. The bright color flamed up in her cheeks. Words were not ready. "'What are you thinking about?' said he. "'Papa,' Esther said, half aloud, "'but she was thinking of a thousand things all at once. "'I'll undertake the colonel,' said he, "'going back to his drawing, without letting go Esther's hand. "'Colonel Gainsborough is not a man to be persuaded, "'but I think in this case he will be of my mind.' "'He was silent again, and Esther was silent too, "'with her heart beating.' and a quiet feeling of happiness and rest gradually stealing in her heart and filling it, like as the tide at flood comes in upon the empty shore. 
whatever her father might think upon the just-mooted question those two hands had found each other once and for all thoughts went roving aimlessly meanwhile as thoughts will in such a flood-tide of content pitt worked on rapidly then a word came to esther's lips pitt you have become quite an englishman haven't you no more than you are an englishwoman i think i am rather an american said esther i have lived here nearly all my life do you like new york i was not thinking of new york yes i like it i think i like any place where my home is would you choose your future home rather in seaforth or in london you know i am at home in both esther would not speak the woman's answer that rose to her lips the immediate response that where he was would be what she liked best it flushed in her cheek and it parted her lips but it came not forth in words instead came a caring question of business what are the arguments on either side well said pitt shaping his rock with bold strokes of the pencil in seaforth the sun always shines or that is my recollection of it does it not shine in london no as a rule esther thought it did not matter then for another consideration in seaforth you would never see i suppose almost never sights of human distress there are no poor there and in london the distress is before you and all around you and such distress as i suppose your heart cannot imagine then said esther softly as far as that goes pitt it seems to me an argument for living in london he met her eyes with an earnest warm look of somewhat wistful recognition intense with his own feeling of the subject glad in her sympathy and yet tenderly cognizant of the way the subject would affect her there is one point among many on which you and miss frere differ he said however coolly going back to his drawing she does not like or would not like living in london i beg your pardon but she would object to your reason for living there esther was silent her recollection of betty quite agreed with this observation you say you have seen her pitt went on presently yes and talked with her oh yes and liked her too in a way did she know your name he asked suddenly facing round why certainly said esther smiling we were properly introduced and we talked for a long while and very earnestly she interested me pitt's brows drew together ominously poor betty the old spanish proverb would have held good in her case if you do not want a thing known of you don't do it pitt's pencil went on furiously fast and esther sat by wondering what he was thinking of but soon his brow cleared again as his drawing was done and he flung down the pencil and turned to her esther he said it is dawning on me like a glory out of the sky that you and i are not merely to live our earthly life together and serve together in london or anywhere in the work given us to do that is only the small beginning beyond all that stretches an endless life and ages of better service in which we shall still be together and love and live with each other in the light of such a distant glory is it much if we in this little life on earth give all we have to him who has brought all that 
and all this, too, for us? It is not much, said Esther, with a sudden veil of moisture coming over her eyes, through which they shone like two stars. Pitt took both her hands. I mean it literally, he said. So do I. We will be only stewards, using faithfully everything, and doing everything, so as it seems would be most for his honor and best for his work. Yes, said Esther, but gladness was like to choke her from speaking at all. In India there is not the poorest Hindu but puts by from his every meal of rice so much as a spoonful for his God. That is the utmost he can do. Shall we do less than our utmost? Not with my good will, said Esther, from whose bright eyes bright drops fell down, but she was looking steadfastly at Pitt. I am not a very rich man, but I have an abundant independence without asking my father for anything. We can live as we like, Esther. You can keep your carriage if you choose, but for me, I would like nothing so well as to use it all for the Lord Christ. Oh, Pitt, oh, Pitt, so would I. Then you will watch over me, and I will watch over you, said he, with a glad sealing of this compact. For unless we are strange people, we shall both need watching. And now come here and let me tell you about your house. I think you will like that. There's no need to add any more, except only the one fact, that on the day of Esther's marriage, Pitt brought her a bunch of red wallflowers, which he made fast himself to her dress. She must wear, he said, no other flower but that on her wedding day. End of chapter 48 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona End of A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner